0: This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church. Transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ.
1: Summer's ready!
0: Come on, y'all! been slaving over this for hours! Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of dominoes, KFC, and Always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone cold fox. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Notton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus, Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, in your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing... He was a a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like... I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinnerd with like an angel band. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. OK, Dear, eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant and so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! love that money that I have accrued over this past season. Also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say the Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of mystic mountain blueberry. Mm. thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. Amen. Amen.: Well,
1: that's one way to do it. That's one way you can pray. We're talking these days about practicing prayer, and we're talking about how we can grow in prayer, and I think Ricky Bobby may need a little bit more growing up. Sometimes our spirituality gets kind of stuck. And so as we do this series on prayer, we want to really keep it real. We've been talking about the importance of having a set time, a chair time every day, a place where you go and you establish that contact with God on a regular basis. We've talked about the importance of listening to God through the Scripture and letting God speak to us through the living Word. We've talked last week about how it's important for us to be able to pray on the run and pray out there doing life and praying quick prayers and real prayers and... Lord help and Lord thanks. And today we want, we want to focus on this whole idea of what are some new practices? What are some new tools? What are some new methods that God may be calling us to use that uh, keeps this living experience of God fresh and real. And so I really have two questions I want to ask you to ask yourself today as we go through this talk. The first question is, what do I need to stop doing? And then what do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing in prayer? What's become stagnant? What's an old practice that really doesn't mean anything? Uh, How am I just being religious here? How am I failing to really connect with God? Is there something that I'm doing out of my past? Is there some relic? Is there something that I've come to worship? What do I need to stop doing? And then also, what do I need to start doing? What's, what's a new practice? What's a new way that God wants me to connect with Him? Now, to get it going, I want to tell a story about a colleague and friend of mine, Cody Collier. He was the district superintendent, which is kind of like a field supervisor in the United Methodist Church for 12 years. And district superintendents get to go and and to deal with a lot of headaches and a lot of complaints. And there was this church that was complaining about everything the pastor was doing. And they were complaining about how someone had moved the picture of Jesus in the prayer room. And Cody said, you know what? Jesus hasn't moved in this church for years. When Jesus is moving in our life, we can expect Jesus to rearrange some things. Not just a picture on a wall, but maybe uh, knock out a few walls, knock out a few barriers. When God is moving in the church, we can anticipate Jesus shaping and moving things around. And so there's some things that Jesus is calling us to stop doing that's just religious junk that has nothing to do with a real relationship with him. And you and I have got to decide what that is in our own life. And then what is it that we need to do that God is calling us to do to get real, to get real with God? Now, I want us to go to a couple of scriptures this morning that illustrate what I mean by what do we may want to stop doing. First of all, let's look at this image of a bronze serpent. Perhaps you remember the story in Numbers where the people of Israel are in the wilderness, and they're complaining about anything imaginable, and God sends serpents, and the serpents bite people and they die. And God says to Moses, the leader, I want you to build this pole of a bronze serpent and lift it up. And if you do this, people will look at that serpent, and they'll be healed. And they were. But centuries later, guess what Israel had been doing? They'd been worshiping the bronze serpent They'd taken some relic from their past, some practice from their past, and they were offering sacrifices to it. And so in 2 Kings, you read about Hezekiah that became king of Israel. In the third year of King Hosea, son of Elah of Israel, Hezekiah, son of King Ahaz of Judah, began to reign, which is the Bible's way of saying Hezekiah became king. What did Hezekiah do? It's interesting. He removed the high places. In other words, he he tore down, broke down the pillars. Anything that was a false idol to false gods. And he cut down the sacred pole. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. So he takes something that was once something that was very meaningful and something that God used in the past, and he tore it to smithereens. Is there something that maybe you uh, are hung up on, you're stuck on, and maybe that thing has even become God to you? Is there a bronze serpent that you need to just tear down and break into pieces? A bronze serpent for me was, um, until about 10 years ago, I was really just locked into the United Methodist faith tradition. Been a part of this tradition all my life. And it was a bronze serpent for me to tear down was this whole idea that I could learn something about prayer and faith from people of other denominations and other streams of faith. I could learn more about prayer sometimes from Charismatics or from Catholics. I didn't care what brothers or sisters, and I don't today, who I can learn from that are outside my own faith tradition within the broader Christianity's tree. I had to break that serpent. Now the younger you are, the less likely you are to be hung up in denominationalism. I think that's a good thing i got to tell this story real quick. A few months ago, we had this lady that was here in the church, and she was a Baptist. That's fine to be a Baptist. Nothing wrong with that. And she was proud of it. She was telling me she was a Baptist in the foyer. So I'm kind of on recent times, and I like to mess with people. And so I said to her, do you know that there won't be any Baptists in heaven? And you could just see her whole back rise up. You know, she was, oh, yes, there will be, she said. I said, no, there won't be any Baptists in heaven. There won't be any Methodists there. There won't be any Presbyterians there. There won't be Episcopalians there. We'll all be known by this one name. So one of the things, friends, that I really want to encourage you to do, I'm not asking you to leave Schweitzer. Don't do that, no. But uh, check out what you can learn from other faith streams. In our faith. Uh, That's the way we grow. And until I broke that serpent, well, I was pretty limited. My faith was pretty stagnant. I was pretty vanilla in my praying. So you got to break the serpent. And we got to grow and learn not to be so daggone religious. Jesus had a lot of trouble with religious people. When Jesus and the twelve disciples came along, they got criticized by religious people for not being religious or doing things the right way. They weren't fasting the right way. They were actually picking corn on the Sabbath. They had all these rules and regulations. and Jesus just wasn't into that. And so he gave these images for us in the Gospel of Mark where he says these words, no one, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old cloak, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old and a worse tear is made. Susan is always pilfering through my closets and getting rid of my old socks and my old underwear and my old shirts and my old pants. And she shows me evidence that this piece of cloth has pretty well used up its purpose. You know, there's a lot of things that we do in prayer just by rote, or we're we're not even really there. We may do well just to throw the old cloth away. Try something new. So Jesus goes on, And he says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Now, the new wine is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is expanding, just like the wine expanded the old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Wineskins were something that was used in Jesus' day, of course, to hold wine. Go figure. And the new wine was placed in the wineskin. If the skin had already been stretched to its limit, it couldn't contain the new thing, the new wine that was expanding and growing, and it would crack and burst. What is Jesus saying to us? He's saying the Holy Spirit in your life will grow you and expand you, and if you're just locked into this container and you can't expand and grow, then you're not going to be able to become the person that God is calling you to be. So as your prayer life grows, sometimes the old container, the old language doesn't work anymore. That's a good thing. Get a new wineskin. One of the ways that this works for me is just the idea of my prayer language changes. You know, when you meet someone for the first time, you introduce yourselves, and, and you exchange names, and you're rather formal and polite, of course, at first, and then you might sit down with that person, you get acquainted, you swap a story, you tell a joke, you may share an insight or philosophy of your life, and, and you become more casual and more personal, more intimate, the same way with our prayer life. Our prayer life as we grow in the faith, isn't cold or formal or rigid. We become more casual and intimate and personal and real with God. That's, that's a good thing. So feel free to throw away old wineskins. What do you need to stop doing? Now let's transition and talk about what we need to start doing. Or what are some new wineskins? What are some new practices that you might want to put to use in your own life? Now, as I go through this menu of sorts, I want to say something very clearly. I am not offering these as prescriptions for you. I'm not suggesting to you that you need to be doing these things or any of them. I'm just saying that these are descriptions These are descriptions of what you might want to do and things that have opened me up more to the Spirit. New wineskins, new practices for me. So with that Spirit, raising our hands in worship, what I mean by that is I have found in the last 10 years that my body posture is very significant. And sometimes I raise my hands in public worship and sometimes I don't. Personally, I just think people ought to do what they want to do. (laughs) I found in my personal life, in my prayer life, that uh, sometimes kneeling, sometimes lying prostrate, uh, sometimes just oftentimes just doing this, opens me up to the presence of God. Just, just the nonverbal prayer, it's, it's amazing what, what your body posture says to God and to me. Just, just to be sitting still or, or have my hands up, there is a presence that comes into me, a greater fullness, sometimes a, a, almost electricity. It doesn't have to be that every time. It doesn't have to be that for you, but just saying, that's one wineskin. Your whole body posture. Have fun with that. Play with that. Anointing of oil, something that's not been emphasized in my faith tradition, but I typically carry this with me, and sometimes I just feel when I pray with people, maybe it's in the hospital or, or someone that's in my office, and, I just feel sometimes prompted to ask them, do you mind if I anoint you with oils, I pray for you. And I don't do this all the time. If I did it all the time, that would be kind of a religious stale practice, right? But it opens up this whole idea of the anointing of the Spirit, an outward sign of this inward presence of God, something that uh, means something. Prayer walking. I love to prayer walk. I love to go among the pews, and I'm not supposed to go beyond this light because I'm on camera at Renovate. So hi, folks over there. But if I could walk, I would walk among the pews, and, and when no one's here, I like to put my hands on the pews, and I've not been doing this much lately, but and just to pray for, for the people, for you, as you come here, that you would experience the presence of God. Pray up here for the band. Pray for myself, anyone that's leading worship. To prayer walk out in your community, in your neighborhood. Just, you know, I love the idea that we can pray with our eyes open. And by the way, if you're prayer walking, I recommend your eyes being open. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, I, was, I just asked God as I, was going, I walked the Galloway Trail, and I was asking God, Is there someone that you want me to connect with? And just help me to be open to that. And I walked up to the Galloway Cemetery, and there's this biker up there, and sure enough, he just starts talking to me and he says, You know what? We're all going to wind up right down there. And I said to him, Well, you know what, brother? I want to wind up up there. And it led to a conversation. You can. Walk in your neighborhood. You can be driving your car. You're, you're noticing people, seeing people, asking God to bless people. And sometimes there's thoughts that come to mind. But pray with your eyes open to all that God is doing in this world. Don't have to always pray with your eyes shut. Um, prayer retreats, personal prayer retreats, prayer uh, retreats with a few other people church-wide prayer retreats open us up to the experience of God. There's nothing more profound than being able to take your iPhone and just turn it off for 24 hours. You ever do that? It's amazing what can happen when you unplug and you just let God speak into your life, give God elbow room. So I do this on a regular basis. Not everybody can do that. I understand that. Your life may not allow you to do that right now, but... There's something very powerful about getting away. You can have many prayer retreats at times. The Divine Office, that's a Catholic thing. If you're someone that never is into written prayers or liturgical prayer, try it. You can go online, thedivineoffice.org, and I, I often do that. I love the ritual, I love the sense of, of prayers that are being spoken when I am tired and I don't know how to pray myself. To hear the Psalms read out loud is, is important to me. And I love it when they pray, uh, protect us, Lord, as we stay awake. Watch over us as we sleep so that awake we may stay watch with Christ and asleep, rest in His peace. That helps to settle me down. So, experience the reality that there are written prayers. The Psalms are written prayers. So, be spontaneous, but also enjoy the liturgy, the work of the people. Praying with other people, to me, is one of the most powerful experiences in prayer. And that's something in our faith tradition that we've almost lost. This whole idea that two people can sit down together and pray together or groups can pray together about anything. I've come to believe this very strongly, that things happen when people pray that don't happen when people don't pray. I don't have to explain anything about that. It's just that's the reality. Rebecca Morton is a member of the practicing prayer group that Pastor Jim Mason leads, and she was uh, asked by Pastor Jim, as the group was their first night together, is there something that anyone would like to have prayer for. And she talked about her son, Zach. And Zach is six years old. And Zach has nightmares and night terrors and how that he suffered repeatedly from these terrors at night. And she described her, his activity, and she's gone to the doctor about this and how he sits up at night and he screams and he yells. And he's terrified and how these things occur in his life. She's gone to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, just give him melatonin, or or the doctor will say, uh, he'll grow out of it. But she would say, no one should have to suffer the way my son is suffering at night. I want it to stop. See, everyone needs an advocate. Can you be a prayer advocate for others? And can you let other people be a prayer advocate for you? And so she asked her prayer group to pray for him. And that night, he didn't have any nightmares. And the second night, he didn't have any nightmares. And the third night, he had a nightmare. But the night terrors have gone away. And he's much more at peace. He's much more alert. His attitude's improved, as you can imagine, in the daytime. And so when the prayer group comes together, they ask the question, how's he doing? And... It it strengthens their faith. Now, Again, I'm not saying everything you pray about is going to happen just the way you want it to, but things happen when people pray that just does not happen when people don't pray. And if you are in a prayer group, and you will specifically pray for things on a continuous basis, and you ask people to pray for those things, you're going to see changes. You're going to see things happen that wouldn't happen unless you prayed. Having a partner in prayer, having somebody else you pray with on a regular basis really opens up a lot of things to me. Let me ask you this question. Does anyone have a password into your private life? Now, you've got to be careful who you give your password to, right? But I have found that in addition to my wife, I need somebody else, a brother in Christ, who has a password into my personal life, and he can speak into my life, and he can see into my life, and he can pray into my life, because I don't trust myself completely. I need that for somebody else. So a new wineskin for you might be having a prayer partner. Sunday morning worship and food pantry prayer is an opportunity where people can serve in ministry. So God may be moving in your life. God may be working in your life. And you may want to give yourself to prayer for other people. And so if you would like to do that, you can see In your bulletin, there's leaders listed there and people you can contact, and you will shadow other people. You will learn from them. You won't just be turned loose, and you'll be trained in how you can pray for and with other people. Maybe that's something that God is calling you to, because as you grow in your prayer life, you realize this is not just about me. How can I be used by God to speak words into someone else's life that come from the Holy Spirit. So, my goodness, there's so many things we could talk about today. How to be quiet, how to listen, how to listen to the Holy Spirit, how to journal. What is a new wineskin for you? I want to end up with just one more. And the one is a graphic that's on the front of your Pray Study grow. if you want to look at that. But it's this whole idea of praying to the God inside of us. You know, you may be someone that's brought up by saying, you know, I pray to the man upstairs. I pray to the man upstairs. And you may think that God is so far away. It's like if you grow in your prayer life and you've been meeting with God and you've been praying your prayer time and you and God have been carrying on this conversation, but after a while, God just doesn't show up anymore. And it doesn't work for you anymore. It's like God says to you, you know what? I'm no longer going to come out to meet you where you are. I want you to come in and meet me where I am. Because Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And you remember Jesus said that the Father and I will make our home with you in your heart. And so if you grow in prayer, don't be surprised if sometime God says to you, come inside, meet me inside of you. And in this graphic by Raymond Gunzel, the pathway to the inside of us is silence. We have to still ourselves. As we come into the inner chamber of who we are, where God lives, there's a doorway. And our ego is protecting that doorway. The ego does not want us to go inside because uh, there's hurt places inside of us. We always have to be busy. We always have to be productive. We always have to be doing things. So the ego will not allow us to enter easily. But we have to put the ego aside, and as we go into our inner life, this first circle can be just something that we enjoy doing with God, or being, or doing nothing. It's, it's the arts, it's developing ourselves, it's just having fun, it's learning to laugh with God, it's, it's experiencing God in a way that we didn't think possible. And then you go into this next realm, and it's this idea that we let go. We can begin to surrender ourselves to God. We let go of our people-pleasing. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, how many of us struggle with people-pleasing, where we spend so much of our life trying to live up to the expectations of other people? So as we go deeper with God in our prayer life, we, get, we let go of all those false identities, and we come into the inner chamber. We meet God face-to-face, if you will. We, we also meet ourselves face-to-face. We, we may face our inner demons. We may not like everything that we see in there. I see things about my motives and my intentions. I see some things that drive me that I wish wasn't true, but I learn these things about myself. But I also find that there's grace here. There's no shame. And as I confess to God, I'm cleansed of God. And this is where the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell, deep within myself. So prayer for me has become more, not outward prayer, but going deep within and meeting God here in the inner chambers of my heart. That may be where you are. That may be where you want to start. So how are you doing in your life with God? How are you doing in your prayer life? Is there something you need to stop doing? Is there a bronze snake? Is there an old wineskin you just need to throw away? Some religious practice that's holding you back? And then can you just let loose? And try one new wineskin, one new practice, one new thing you can have fun with, be creative with. And let God just pour the new wine of his spirit into you where you can expand and grow. And let God become incredibly real to you. Our band's going to come and they're going to lead us in the closing worship. And as they do, we're just going to give you a moment to ask yourself that question. Two questions. What do I need to stop doing, and what can I start doing? One thing, one thing that God wants me to start doing that allows the new wine of the Spirit to be poured into me. Have fun with that.